If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where I talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago, and welcome back on a busy 4th of July week. Busy around the sports world, you know, we've got NBA free agency blowing up Twitter every five seconds. We've got baseball kicking up into that one stretch where there's like, they're the only thing happening on the field like most days and you're just like, okay, I got to relearn these guys' names. What's going on? Like, where's my team? And then you've got the World Cup, which I am super excited about. The U.S. women's national team has been, by the time you listen to this, I don't know, they're in the semis now, but they have been kicking ass in this World Cup, man. Like, 13 to nothing in some games, and then, like, looking authoritatively great for most of that game against France. In France, you could not have scripted it better. Now, look, don't want to get ahead of myself. We got two tough matches ahead, but I am optimistic. And look, it's 4th of July, man. It's America. Get out your flags. Wave them around. Put on your old ice cream truck popsicle uniform from a couple a couple cycles ago at the World Cup that I, I still rock out every once in a while. My wife was like, what are you doing? Um, and cheer on the U.S. Women's National Team. I love this team. I love rallying around them. I love um, just how great they are and how much they play with style and flair and passion that is just really great. So I thought, look, why don't I go back into the archives and piece together a show with some memorable interviews with players on this year's team. And you got to start that with Megan Rapino, who has been dominating the tournament. So a while back, I had a chance to talk to Megan Rapino about her interest in fashion, about her clothing line, about how she's making it not just to sell clothes and to design stuff that she likes, but also to empower and inspire people to embrace who they are, embrace their, embrace themselves, self-love. I thought it was a really great conversation at the time. You know, she's one of my all-time favorite athletes. I just wanted to revisit it as everybody is focused on this team. And let's talk about my second interview, Becky Sauerbrunn. Becky freaking Sauerbrunn, forever my captain. Oh, captain, my captain, forever my captain. I've had her on the show twice. One of my all-time favorite athletes, one of my all-time favorite interviews. First time we talked about her, just her wide-ranging love of books, of sci-fi, stuff like Ender's Game, other fantasy, that kind of stuff. Second time I had her on, we kind of drilled down specifically into her love of Ready Player One, of video games, of Zelda, that kind of stuff. I was going back and forth. Which one of these should I put up? Ultimately decided... Since the second one was, you know, in the in the in the last iteration of the show where it's just me doing it, I would, you know, you, you can find that pretty easily. Scroll down a couple pages and it's right there. The first one's a little bit buried in my feed. I mean, we've done almost 150 interviews uh, on this show. Then I figured, you know what? It's a throwback show. Let's really throw it back. So going back to Becky interview number one, if you like it, revisit Becky interview number two that I did, you know, a few months back. Uh, easy to find. Always love talking to her. Rooting for her so much. What a great athlete. Great interview. Great video game expert. Great pop culture junkie. That's what we like on this show. Also, reason for the throwback. July 4th isn't just the holiday. I'm not a lazy person unwilling to work on the holiday, but it's also my anniversary, July 3rd and need to put some time into that, okay? Uh, Every year, I will say this. I'm not going to do a distraction this week, but I will say this. Every year, my wife and I rewrite our vows on our anniversary. And my wife, who famously does not listen to this show, will never never hear this. But a couple years ago, I I, I started putting, like, primo effort into this. Like, I would do, like, kind of a a pre-made photo album, or uh, last year, I, I made a podcast with her and my daughter about um, about uh, the vow, and I, I like kind of laid out like the things that I was going to do for the year, and let Charlie <laughs> talk about it. Oh man, 
I edit, I edit this podcast. Editing is a pain in the ass. Shout out Joe Reed. Um, and let me just say, editing my daughter was a, a a painstaking process because she just refused to cooperate with the taping of that <laughs> of that of that vow. So this year, no audio involved. But um, you know, I, I would say you know, it, it's a fun exercise. It, it, I know some people think it's kind of cheesy, but most people I've told that we write our vows to. If you're married, they they kind of instantly kind of you know get whiplash and go, "Oh man, what a great idea!" And I really wholeheartedly advise you, if you're married, to to do it. It's a good kind of introspection about your own uh, your own life, your own role in the marriage, and also it's nice to hear um, you know what your partner has to say. So no pressure, no pressure. You do you. Man, I am like uh like R- Megan like the shirt like the shirt I have from Megan Rapino that I bought from her website that says do you uh you do you I'll do me I'll do the anniversary thing I'll do the holiday thing this week I will be cheering on the US women's national team to win yet another world cup and coming back with more shows soon more guests working on a number of things pretty excited about so stick around enjoy these throwbacks i will see you next week go go usa You know, I've worked with a lot of athletes who, you know, are part of causes or foundations. I've worked with a lot of athletes who have apparel lines. I've worked with a lot of athletes who run camps and clinics. The, the thing I like about Rapino SC so much is how it sort of blends a lot of elements um, like that together and, and defies an easy categorization. Um, can you kind of describe for our listeners what what is the, f- the sort of overall mission of the organization and, and how would you best describe it? That's a a good question. Um, I think our mission statement says a lot of it. We want to want to facilitate um, an environment, a way of life, um, kind of just a a general sort of outlook on of maximizing you as a person and celebrating whoever that is that you are, and, and kind of, I guess encouraging people to find whatever it is within themselves. Um, and we think that there's something special and unique and badass in everyone. Um, and, mm-hmm. and specifically with our clinics, um, generally we have had some co-ed clinics, um, like when we go home to Reading, um, they're generally co-ed, but we work um, pretty much primarily with, with young girls in our clinics and, and our message to them is whatever you want to be. They're not elite soccer clinics, so we're not getting the best of the best. We're getting whoever, we're getting kids that play soccer all the time, kids that just love us and just want to come to the clinics so they put some shoes on. So we, we kind of want to express to them that whatever it is you want to be, whether that's a doctor, a soccer player, um, a mom, a veterinarian, then you can do that and just kind of empower them in a way. And I think what we do, which is pretty... I think amazing as a staff is we have a pretty diverse staff. Both my sister and I um, are gay. We have other um, gay coaches, but we also have straight coaches and we have men that work in our staff and we have women and we have college coaches and we have professional athletes. And uh, we kind of have a mixed bag of, of staff that we all of course come to do the clinics and um, you know, are there for a specific purpose that we can kind of reach a greater uh, a greater message within all of that. And then our clothing line, I think, um, you know, fashion is something that Rachel and I always have been interested in, very interested in. It's a way for us to kind of express who we are. It's not about, um, you know, trying to look cool or trying to, you know, wear what's the best. It's about feeling good. And what you're wearing, obviously, is human beings for the most part we have to wear clothes and and clothes are a way that we can kind of help express ourselves so it's kind of a fun creative outlet for us but really what we're trying to do is just get people to realize that you're badass the way you are and and we want to celebrate that yeah i mean it's it's an awesome cause 
the fashion line is great. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the process that goes into that. The thing that's, that just leaps out when you see it, you know, be your best you. Like, what a rallying cry. What a great rallying cry. It's all over the clothes you guys are creating. It's all over the materials and, and stuff that we see for the organization. Where did you, when did you land on that? And, you know, I, I'm sure at the moment that you did, you kind of knew you had something special that was going to be this, like, really strong mantra for, for you guys. But, but what was the inspiration for that specific phrase? Um, it came came across kind of over time and sort of um, pretty organically. I think the relationship that Rachel and I have always had is is one of competition, but only to make each other better. It's never been we've never had, and our parents have never kind of instilled in us or said to us about being the best. Period. That didn't that wasn't a conversation. It was just about you know, doing what you can. And I have found that within Rachel and I's relationship, that's kind of how we operated, even as kids, um, even before we knew what sibling rivalry really was. It was kind of just, we just wanted to kind of compete and do the best that we could. And then I feel like that's something that I've really held on to in my career. Like, I'm never going to be anyone else. I'm never going to be able to do what Alex does or what Tobin does. And on the flip side, they're they're never going to be able to do what I do. So and I think Rachel's kind of experienced that too, just in her life of trying to, you know, figure out kind of post-college what she wanted to do and, you know, what is everybody else doing in this? And it's, it's not about that. It's just about doing what you can. It sounds really simple. And we, we kind of, we don't want to be cliche. I think that the too often the, the, the sports and just generally, I think things could be cliche and that's really boring, but we really do believe that. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to be the best. There's no, there's no such thing as the best. I mean, even in all the awards, the MVPs and everything, there's best by a certain metric, but really everyone is just flying to the best of their ability. So that's kind of how that came. And we want to tell that to kids. Cause I think, especially in youth sports right now, there's just such an emphasis on on winning and being the best and do this training so your kid will be the best at this or do this and then you'll get to college and then you'll be the best and then you can get to the national team. And it's just like this crazy, crazy thing where really 1% of the kids are going to go to college and then 1% of them are going to go on to play pro. So what about the rest? The, the, the experience, I think, for a lot of youth sports um, participants is, is being ruined by this idea of winning and being the best and you kind of miss all of the magic in between. But it kind of came a little bit organically just of how we view life um, and, and kind of our upbringing together. And it just kind of stuck, just kind of worked. And it's kind of something that resonated with us both and something that is very versatile. I think it, it was, it's not really a, a sports thing. It's not really a life thing. It's just kind of, you know, something that's, that's pretty interchangeable with all of the different facets that we want to go into with our, with our business. What you know, you mentioned your sister. Uh, you know, she kind of runs the day to day operations. You are the creative director. What is your working dynamic like? Um, and how do you? How would you best describe the ways you guys sort of interact as the as the head and the face of of Rapino SC? Um, it, it's kind of funny. I feel like you know, in terms of the the operations of the business, you know, it, it, she's very much the boss, and she's day to day and she's sort of, you know, boots on the ground. But I feel like in, in another sense being a kind of the the face of it, you know, I need to continue to do that and be an ambassador for the brand. So it's kind of we sort of have these kind of I don't know, double CEO things. It's like I, there's no way I could do any of this without her. And there's no way she could do any of this without me. So it, you know, she, right now of course because just the demand of soccer and, and having to travel all the time. I can't really, you know, be present enough. And, and to be honest, at this point, I don't really want to do that. And so she's kind of, you know, CEO in that sense of a business way. And then my role as creative director um, is something that we kind of decided. And, and really, I'm more interested in that part of it mm-hmm. anyways than she is. And she is is happy to kind of let me have that kind of creative direction. And, you know, we both work with the designers and we're both very involved in, in all aspects, especially when we're, we're putting clothing or hats or whatever apparel out, but it's kind of my role to really drive that and to kind of be 
I guess the the, the fashion eye of the team. <laughs> well, I mean, you're I know you're coming off a very high profile injury. I've read some comments from you where you said during your time away, as you were rehabbing, you dove, you got to dive into the company a little bit uh, and explore your role as creative director. What is it? What is your day to day in terms of, um, where do you, where do you most influence, um, what you guys are doing and what's your creative process? What's your, like, what, what's the way you like to work when you're creating? Um, I feel like I'm, I'm really observant. Um, just even in my, my own fashion, I like to, I, look at um you know fashion blogs or look at instagram or just look at what other people are wearing and kind of grab tidbits from from wherever i can really i've always been really interested in fashion and how how i can express myself through fashion so i think if you know my role is kind of you know sort of have our set line but within that we're kind of we we want to keep expanding and we want to you know twice three times a year be able to kind of put new stuff out or new style so it's kind of my job to drive that and and think of, you know, new styles that we want or um, it's kind of a different direction that we want to go or the types of, you know, pieces that we want to put out right now. We just have T-shirts and sweatshirts and um, hats, but hopefully we can kind of start expanding. So I think it's my job to kind of drive, drive the what's next and, and kind of get that rolling. And then we both sort of get into the process when when it gets down to business time. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the clothes are great. They've got a very sort of clean minimalist look. And I mean that as a positive, I, I always hate mm-hmm. trying to, trying to categorize things cause it might be completely away from your intent. So I apologize if you're like, yeah, it's not <laughs> no, what I'm no, going no. for. That's, that's very much it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that, is that what you would describe as like the permanent look you want for the brand? Or is that like where you are now? And you, you could imagine taking drastic departures with future designs. Um, no, on the whole, I don't think that we'll take drastic. I think we'll have, um, you know, some kind of pieces, maybe sort of season pieces that'll be a little bit different or something that will, um, you know, kind of deviate from, um, maybe involving prints or some kind of floral print or something like that. But I think you, you did now, we, we do want a very simple, um, clean, kind of modern aesthetic to our gear, something that you can wear to the gym. If you want something that you can throw on with jeans under a jean jacket, and that would be totally fine as well. So I think especially kind of for our signature line, the be your best use stuff, um, the Rapino club line, like that'll all, I think be sort of a staple within our collection. And then we'll have um, different pieces throughout the seasons that we'll kind of take more risks on. Quick question. Will, Will hats ever be cool with bent brims again? Because that's the way I grew up with them, and now I feel like I can never wear a hat because I'm instantly I look like I'm I'm a hundred <laughs> years old because I'm wearing it against the style. Uh, well, I think five panels kind of offer a good mix. Um, <laughs> if it was up to me and my style, uh, and I think you know the rates may feel the same, we would probably have more five panel hats than we do snapbacks. But obviously, snapbacks are just incredibly popular yeah. right now. But I think a five panel offers a nice, um, you know, kind of alternative. It's more of a fitted hat, um, kind of more like, yeah, an old school kind of baseball hat or like a sort of college looking hat. Um, but I like those too. I think that those definitely have a play. They're kind of making a little bit of a comeback. I feel like the, the sort of like just sort of canvassy hat with a, with a, a bent rim is coming back. Yeah, I mean, I hope. I yeah. hope. I'm, I'm a little bit over the snapbacks, but I keep waiting for. <laughs> I yeah, I, as someone who kind of came of age in, um, you know, in the late '90s, I kind of keep waiting for my styles to like cycle back. And we're like like seven years away from like my closet looking like it's retro cool again. But you know, we'll we'll get there eventually. Um, Hold out hope. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, look, you you mentioned like you know sort of your personal style it's very vulnerable to be creative publicly um, to create designs and have to put them out for mass appeal. How do you balance mm-hmm. the, the, the styles that you feel most, you know, the most personal passion for versus the trends that you think may, you know, people might wear, or do you ever worry that, Hey, I really love this, but I, you know, I don't want to put it out there because you know, I don't want it to get rejected or, or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It is a balance. Um, I have definitely found that, what I thought would sell the best doesn't necessarily. And um, sometimes I'm, you know, I'm surprised by what people are into. Um, But I think it's a balance. I think I do want to, I don't just want to put out whatever is popular. Um, I 
I think Rachel and I both feel like, yes, we want to um, sort of curate for for people. We want obviously we want people to buy it, but we also want it to to be sort of palatable for a lot of different people. But we also want to put our spin on it, um, our colors, our sort of. Uh, uh, I don't know, creative direction with it. So it is a balance. I, I understand that not everybody likes what I like and I don't like what everybody else likes. So it's, it's, and that's okay. And I don't need to create a line that's just exactly for me. Um, but it's been interesting. It's been, I, you know, maybe arrogantly, I thought like just the stuff that I would love, everyone would love, but I've also realized that I think I like the stuff that's a little bit more subtle I think it's still a little, um, not embarrassing, but, you know, I'm conscious of not being like, Rapino, 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 but some people want that. Some people want big, bright, you know, they're going to a game and they want, they want a big, bright shirt that says Rapino on it. And I think, you know, while I wouldn't love to wear that, it's obviously because of my name, somebody else, maybe that's what they're looking for. Maybe instead of buying a jersey, what they're doing is buying one of our sweatshirts. So kind of a balance between pushing what we want. Um, cause I definitely want to do that. I think that we both have a, a pretty creative eye and a, and a pretty, um, cool fashion sense, but kind of mixing it to make it good for everyone and not just what we want. Well, you found the balance because the Mo Pino Mo party shirt is one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, a, that is uh, a good one. That is actually uh, someone uh, within our, our company. I think originally it was going to be no, but then that just like, I don't know, the vibe of it just didn't really feel, but no, yeah. sort of was like a negative vibe and it just wasn't, wasn't really what, what we stand for anyway. So yeah, it kind of organically came about with the Mo and that's a good one. I do love that one. <laughs> when are you at your most creative? Um, I'm someone who like, <laughs> when I'm at a desk, I'm not, I'm not feeling, I get up, I'll walk the office. Uh, I will, um, you know, I, I have my best ideas in the shower, not to get graphic, but like when I'm doing something where mm. like my body's doing something and my mind can yeah. just not think as an athlete, yeah. you're someone who probably has deep focus. Um, and, and you train your mind and your body to be very in the moment. So what does that still apply for creativity? Do, do you find yourself at certain times finding more inspiration than others? Yeah, I'm, I'm an extremely visual person. So when I walk around the street, when I meet new people, when my teammates come into the locker room, like I, I can't help but but notice, especially when it comes to fashion, I notice what people are wearing and how they're wearing it, and and not just not just the article of clothing that they're wearing, but like why why does that look so cool on them? What about their vibe is right. um, is kind of like portraying that? Um, so uh, yeah, I'm a very visual person, so I just I watch everything, and and I don't. Like some people are like, oh, this is like my style, and I don't want people to like snatch it. And I'm kind of like, no, well, it's really not. It's not like anything is one off. So I don't mind stealing other people's styles or getting what other people get, and I don't mind if they do that to me. I think it's it's how you rock it that makes it unique. What are your ambitions? Where do you want to Where do you want to take this? Um, God, I think I think we don't even totally know that. We definitely want it to keep growing. We want it to move beyond. You know the platform. I think right now it's it's a lot reliant on the clinics, and we want to kind of move past that. We want to be something bigger. I don't know if that means, you know, seminars or us putting on a music festival or us putting on a three three tournament or something like that. We kind of want to take it past just the clinics and and be able to reach to a much bigger audience and be able to reach not only to kids but to people our age as well. Yeah, well, we love it. We want to direct all of our listeners to to go check you out online, rapino.us. The on Instagram, it's the Rapino brand. You are um, at mpino mm-hmm. on Twitter. So, best of luck, yep. Mo Pino, Mo Party. I'm all for it. Uh, you'll be seeing us wearing that uh, in future tapings. Oh, I love it. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Well, look, I mentioned it before. I'm a little bit of a, of a geek when it comes to, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, genre, um, pop culture. And I just want to know, like, what's the, is there one particular piece of pop culture that you just would say you've nerded out more than anything else? I mean, like a good example, like 
uh, you know, growing up, I was a huge Star Wars guy. I've probably spent way too much time in my life, like examining expanded universe novels, things like that. Is there is there an obsession or a particular um, series that you think you, you has just sort of captured your imagination more than anything else? Yeah, I think I I had two older brothers and they were really into Nintendo, and so I actually think I was introduced into like fantasy and sci-fi through Zelda. Ugh. So I've played almost like every iteration of that game that I possibly can, and to this day I still play it on my Nintendo 3DS and. Just the game itself is just so fun. It's just an, it's an epic adventure in this world of just pure fantasy, and I just can't get enough of it. Okay, first things first, what are the odds that I can get you during this interview to hum the Zelda theme? So I would say you have a very poor chance of that happening, <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciate the effort. Well, I, like, da 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 ah. It's classic. I actually kind of want to find um, the text message alert that sounds like you just found a secret within the Zelda dungeon. Oh. Um, I know it's out there. I know it's out there. That would be that. That is tremendous. I mean, the original Zelda was kind of its own animal, and ever since then, they've been trying to expand the worlds as and the gameplay as technology has gotten better. Do you actually prefer the original, or have you grown and allowed yourself to adapt and evolve with the series as it's found a new home on other gaming systems? You know, it's kind of funny because I'll play one version and I'll be like, okay, this is the version I like it the best. I don't want to change. And then I'll, you know, try another one. And at first I would have like a hangover from the other one. I'm like, ah, it's too different. I'm not sure I like it. <laughs> and then the more I play, I get used to it. And I just love it and love it. And yeah, the original, I mean, you can't beat that. But then you go to something like um, Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask and you're just like, damn, that's pretty cool too. So I think the creator... Have, they've done an amazing job kind of changing and making it fresh. Um, so I would say there's very few of the Zelda versions that I dislike. I will say a huge pet peeve about, because I've seen, I've seen you reference this before in other interviews, and one of the things that really bothers me is when some writers talk about it, they always say like, oh, and it's so surprising that you know she's into uh, Zelda or the Tomb Raider series and is actually pretty good. I find that to be such a sexist attitude, and I'm not searching for points here, but I think in the gaming industry in general, we, you know, whether it's Gamergate or, or whatever else, we've seen a reactionary movement against um, women's role in the industry. Do you ever feel like uh, people are giving a little too much surprise to your interest in in not just gaming, but like, you know, fantasy style games? And do you feel like there's a lot more room for us to get more open-minded and progressive about who's actually playing these games and why they enjoy them? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's very much a, a genre prejudice with women. Um, and yeah, it's, it is, I'm kind of taken aback by the surprise of it. Cause if you get into one of our locker rooms and you're just, you'll hear us talk about you know, Stranger Things or these shows, and people are just so into it. And I mean, I'll play video games with Tobin on the road all the time. So it's just, um, I don't think people really ask those questions very often. And so when they finally do, I think they are taken aback by these interests that we have outside of, of soccer. So, I mean, you mentioned Stranger Things. I mean, your, your interest in sci-fi and fantasy runs deep. What's one particular obsession of yours that you're currently spending a lot of time thinking about talking about watching reading whatever oh wow um i would say the lies of Lamora, which is a book that i'm reading and it's one of those i went to paul's bookstore in portland and there's those placards that say hey if you're waiting for the next game of thrones book to come out uh <laughs> read it like, that is a sure bet that I'm going to buy that book. <laughs> and so that's actually introduced me to a lot of uh, different sci-fi and fantasy novels that I've really enjoyed. And this is one of those. Um, and so it's just one of those kind of epic these worlds are created and you get so immersed in these characters because it's so well-written. And there's, you know, like the laws that we abide by don't, you know, exist in these worlds. And that, to me, is what's so immersing that you just love so much about it because it's, it's not something that you do with day-to-day. <laughs> are you a hard sci-fi person, or you like it more accessible? Like, I've never been into the hardest of the hardcore. I'm not someone that's going to sit down and read The Forever War. 
uh, as much as I might, you know, just you get something into get into something that's a little bit more of touching on science fiction uh, versus going full in. Where does where's the line that you draw in terms of your own kind of preferences and accessibility? Um, I would probably be one of those people that kind of dawdle on the line between hardcore and vanilla right. sci-fi. Like I can definitely get into some where it's just like. I probably understand five words on the page because they're using all this like interstellar, you know, light speed travel jargon that I'm like, okay, I think I understand <laughs> what they're trying to say. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I can dis- suspend disbelief pretty well. So I can really get into some things that I think turn other people off. Let's talk about Ender's Game. Speaking of things that, that people love and also things that turn them off. I was heartbroken when I, I, I read an interview with you a couple years ago. You were you one of the people, uh, many of us were very affected by the author's, you know, outspoken views against homosexuality. You know, uh, I don't need to, to go all into it, but he's a problematic figure. And yet that's a book that you described as your, your all-time favorite. And for someone who's a voracious reader, I imagine that's a, you know, that that's a, a designation you don't throw around, you know, willy-nilly. Um mm-hmm. How have you been able to comp- compartmentalize your love of the subject matter and the story with the views of the person behind it? I've had a very difficult time compartmentalizing that. Um, when people ask me what my favorite novel is, I often hesitate to say that it is Ender's Game just because I was a little heartbroken when I you know, read those interviews and heard the author's view on gay marriage and his opposition to it. And for him to have written a novel, that's basically a series that's basically about embracing an alien species. That's very Mm -hmm. different from you. Um, It just, it didn't, it's so incongruous to the person that he is. And so I'm, it was very hard for me to understand, like, how can you write a novel about tolerance and acceptance, but not, be able to live that in your own life and you know to this day I still hesitate to say it because then I have to kind of go on and say but I don't respect the author or the author's views on you know these social issues yeah it's tough right and I think anytime with art you know it I know that it, when it's out there it, it's supposed to be hey it now belongs to the people you know the, the the person who who makes the painting doesn't get to decide how I view it um, but in our media age when, you know, these, these folks can come out and just keep banging the drum or anytime, you know, especially when the movie was adapted and that became such a, a, a lightning rod again and everything gets dredged back up, it's, mm-hmm. it, it can become much harder to escape, right? I mean, just the pure noise of it and the way that media operates now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Media is just going to give you a platform. And if you want to use that pl- platform, obviously you have every right to do so. But yeah, it does affect the art and how people then or support your art. So the most important question is, at one point you said you were going to have a cat and you were going to name the cat Ender. Has that happened yet? You know what? I couldn't do it. And <laughs> there were, I, do, I do now have cats, um, but they are also female, so Ender wouldn't exactly have worked out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am still open to the idea. My boyfriend would prefer to name them after soccer figures. <laughs> I'm kind of uh, trying to get away from that as well, so <laughs> uh, I guess we'll see. But I mean, it's such a it's such a great name, and I still love the novel so much. Um, so yeah, it's I'm I'm just completely conflicted about it. What What is it about the novel that makes it makes it number one? And again, I, I mentioned you're a voracious reader. I, I believe I've seen things that say you bring like three to four books on every trip. I mean, you are you are tearing through the pages, my friend. So what is it about the story that resonated for you to elevate it so high on your all-time list? I think it's when I came to it. I was in freshman year of college, and it was a class for Anthro that was called Fantasy and Social Values. And it's supposed to be an athlete class, you know, a big lecture. You know, the professor never asked uh, the student's question. <laughs> you know, you read the book and you and you write a, a paper on it. And this was one of those books, and I just really took to it because you know, Ender is a story about him being kind of thrown into this environment where he has to both work with and compete against these other students, and somehow also stand out as an individual. And so, I mean, talk about being thrown into an environment like college or. Um, 
college sports, you know, like Mm -hmm. trying to find your place in this hierarchy um, while also trying to stand out, but also trying to be successful as a team. And so I just really took to that part of the story. So let me move to some other titles. Is Lost still your favorite TV show? No, it's up there, but there has just been such a, like a burst of amazing shows that it's uh-huh. really difficult. I mean, Game of Thrones, epic, um, Stranger Things, like I already mentioned, but also like Black Mirror, Westworld, yeah. you know, Wolf in Black is really good. I, it's just, it's really tough to just say that Lost, but man, that was, that was a pretty dang good show. <laughs> All right. Did you ever get out on Lost? I got out on Lost after like season three, and I came back the year that they did the flash forwards instead of the flashback. Oh, and spoiler alert for our listeners it's been off the air for like 10 years. Like, you need to go find it if you don't want us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, did you stick with it the entire time, or did you kind of tune in and out like some folks like myself? No, I, I did actually tune in and out. Um, when it started getting really confusing, whether they were in the past, present, or future, I was like, okay, I think it's, I think it's time to take a break. Um, but that, that first, like the pilot episode, was oh, yeah. probably one of the best pilot episodes of any show I've ever seen. And that just, it just got me, and I was hooked from then. I got hooked when they did the the two episodes that I I thought that whole first season was a miracle of television and mm-hmm. the, the the two that really got me the one with uh, with um, Hugo and the numbers uh, just mm-hmm. totally hooked me and then the whole thing with Locke and just finding out like he he couldn't walk off the island and all that like mystery and like what's going on and I feel like as they kept pulling the thread of that story it started to unravel a little too much for me like I was like. Okay, now now it's like about these gods, or I don't even know. I I almost like. I wish I could just bottle that up when it was just a mystery. You had no idea what was going on because I found it very thrilling to just be in the complete uh, dark on mm-hmm. on everything. Yeah, but I I think you might be in the minority with that. I think I know. People <laughs> want to know. People want to know why things happen, and I agree with you. I think. Sometimes the mystery of it is just more fun than the actual the reason for it. Do you have a favorite episode of Black Mirror? Uh, I don't know the, the exact titles, um, but the one where they're cycling and they get units, and then they use the units to then yeah. get on a singing show, I really like that one. Yeah, that was good. That was really good. I uh, That's another show that I, I try to keep up with. We've got two two kids now so I, I like my tv watching time has been way down so there's like a few in the queue from last season that i still haven't seen yet but that's another show that like i i like anthologies though i kind of i think there's an art to doing like a really tight hour that tells a complete story is that how do, do you feel the same way or do you do you prefer like the like game of thrones style longer series and not that you have to have a preference one or the other but i you know i don't know no, I actually really like both, and it's really just kind of the mood that I'm in. Am I in for kind of a mini movie? Because then Black Mirror is, like, perfect for that. Am I ready to just immerse myself and, like, spend a lot of time within a certain world with certain characters? And, yeah, I'll do, like, the epic. But um, I think what Black Mirror does, the, the it's just so imaginative and so well thought out, and it really does make people think, and I think it's one of the best sci-fi shows that's out there. Um, Because I think people can relate to it. It's not too far out that it kind of turns people off. Um, But it does make you think about technology and how it affects society and affects individuals. So let's talk Game of Thrones for a sec. If I said to you, who are you rooting for to to win or to end up on top? Who would you Mm -hmm. say? Um, I'm going to say Jon Snow. Um, But a part of me thinks that he's going to have incestuous marriage with Daenerys. And so they're going to be a power couple and then they're just going to dominate. <laughs> so you are, you are of the mindset that they are related. Related. Yes. I am part of that. I agree with that theory. Now, how much have you, have you, how'd you discover that theory and how much online uh, chat room uh, reading are you doing on game of Thrones here? Okay. So this, this is what I, don't know if it happened, but my boyfriend also very interested. We've read all the books, watched all the episodes. He thinks he actually came up with that theory and didn't do any <laughs> online reading. And I'm like, you're quite smart if you figured that out. 
Um, so I first heard it from him, and then when we started like looking to see what other people thought, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, Liana Stark, blah blah blah." Um, so I don't know if I believe him, but he's a pretty smart dude, so I'm gonna give him credit for it. <laughs> I, now that shows one where if you've read all the books, now the TV show has moved into a different direction. Mm-hmm. Are you? Are, how are? You, how has that changed your watching of the series? Not necessarily knowing all the beats that are coming. Oh, I'm stoked! I can't wait to see where the the show goes. And then, obviously, you've heard of like the conflict where um, George R. R. Martin is upset with the show, and he might write a novel that's completely different from where the show's going. So it's just kind of exciting. You're kind of like, oh man, it could really do anything. And so I'm I'm pumped for it to come out. I just saw a trailer and it looks unbelievable. I got some bad news. I don't think Martin's ever going to finish that book. Why? Why do you think that? So he's just, he's delayed and delayed and delayed so much that one has to wonder whether he just sort of doesn't have it. I know Deadspin, for example, has been has been really critical on they don't believe he really has much progress and that they're wondering if the publishing house would ever come out and just get a ghostwriter to like finish it for him. Well, there's been years and years between different publishing of novels in a series. So I'm just hoping it's one of those kind of longer breaks. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I totally get it. Uh, Let me ask you this though. do you have any problems with the treatment of women on that show? That's been a pretty big story thread. I know my wife reached a point where she's like, I, I don't know if I can watch any more just like gratuitous sexual assaults on Game of Thrones. How, how as, a, as a woman, do you digest the sort of gritty realism that's projected onto the women characters in, in the TV series? Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of those scenes are extremely gratuitous. Um, And women in general on that show are very mistreated. Um, But it's kind of shedding light onto things that obviously is a different universe, but women have been mistreated for, you know, millennia. And so this is a show that kind of just shows it a little bit more openly. Mm-hmm. Um, with the rape and the killing and the slavery and the prostitution and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, some some of those scenes are extremely hard to watch. Um, but I think if it's slapping people in the face and saying like, "Hey, this should happen," sometimes, um, I'm you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So, as someone who reads a lot of the books and then I would imagine watches a lot of the movies for the the sci-fi fantasy that you're into, are you protective of the source material in the books? Like for Ender's Game, for example, were you nervous about the movie kind of spoiling your own vision of it? Or are you someone that just kind of embraces it and says, hey, whatever, it's an interpretation of it. Let's just, let's just see what it's all about. I think I get nervous in that I don't want the movie, if it's done poorly, to turn people off from the actual novel. So that's when I get kind of nervous. Um, and I'll bring um, the movie adaption of um, The Golden Compass, as an example. I think that trilogy uh, is unbelievable. I think it's one of the the best written fantasy series that's been out. Um, And the movie, I think, turned people off from even attempting to try to read the novel, and I think that's just a crime. That's the His Dark Materials books, aren't right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that's also a good example of, you think about all all the things that have come out in the post Harry Potter Lord of the Rings world that were book series that were being adapted. And I think everyone just figured, Oh, these are all going to be gold and they're going to come out. I don't even think they made a second of the movies, right? No, they didn't. Yeah. Well, okay. So to wrap up here, I'm going to throw some titles at you. And if you, if you've read and or watched them, just let us, let our listeners know your thoughts. So ready player one, I believe you've read this. How much uh, did you like it, and how excited are you for the movie? I loved that book so, 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 so much. I would re- recommend it to anybody to read. And isn't Spielberg doing the movie? Spielberg is doing the movie. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so excited about that. I have also read Armada by the author, um, and like that a lot, just not as much as Ready Player One. I think Ready Player One has just literally combined everything that I love into book form. Well, as a gamer, you had to be really nostalgic, even though you're yeah. not you're not quite of the age that the author was. I mean, he, he, his tastes trend a little bit more toward early 80s. 
Mm-hmm. But still, I have to imagine that when they're when they're when they're playing those old school games and all the pop culture references, if you if you if you know them, it was it was kind of a fun read. It was an amazing read. Uh, I did like Ready Player One. I my friend, I have a friend who like hated it and was really hard on it, and I'm having a hard time sort of recalibrating my brain with it to get rid of his feedback. But I, I have an open mind about the movie. Um, I just wonder. I, I just I wonder if they're gonna go back as far, or if they're gonna update it and have it be more like a '90s throwback as opposed to early '80s. Oh, that's interesting. I guess it'll be what uh, demographic they're trying to reach. Right. I just think the early '80s stuff is not gonna reach millenn. They won't. They won't know about it. Even like the '90s stuff might even be too, too far off. All right. So you were mentioned Hunger Games. Which one do you think is the best of the of the trilogy? I really like the second. I would do. Two, one, and then three was like a far three. Oh, okay. Yeah, first of all, I give you amazing credit for already having power ranked those titles in your head. I, I, I love a good list and a good <laughs> opinion on it. So thank you, thank you for doing that. No problem. Okay. Same thing with Harry Potter. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Potter. First of all, which house would you be in if you were at at uh, at Hogwarts? You know, I obviously would love to say Gryffindor, but I'm probably a Ravenclaw. Oh, uh, so you're saying you're 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 brainier than the uh, uh, than the the Gryffindor folks, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think so. As much as I I wish I could say I'm more brave, I think I'm probably more brainy. Yeah, but but Gryffindor were like the great athletes too, and Hermione. You know, she was in Gryffindor. I know. I know. I've got some. A boss of mine was told recently she'd be in Hufflepuff, and she said she almost cried. She was like, "What? A, what a rip! Like, why would this guy say this to me?" I mean, what is what is Hufflepuff's like main characteristic? I, I don't even know, except for like filling out the uh, the, the you know, rounding out the uh, uh, you know the square there. I just yeah. I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, Slytherin clearly are like the troublemakers. Ravenclaw was always the the, the smarty pants, and I, I always kind of thought Hufflepuff was like the shit left over. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the the nice ones, right? Right. Uh, like I don't know. Fine. Yeah, I don't know either. That's, I guess that could be kind of insulting. So which Harry Potter is your favorite? Oh, the Triwizard Tournament. But I mean, that's uh, kind of obvious. Me, I love that one too. I always think people, to have a credible discussion with me about it, if, if, if you either need to say Azkaban or um, Goblet of Fire. Because I think those are the, the books where the, the, the tone of the series changes for the better. And I think they're the movies that make that, make that series so much more enduring. If it had all just looked like the first two Chris Columbus movies, I just don't think I would have oh, followed it up with it. Absolutely. I think the darker tone that it took on after the first two, um, yeah, just captured a lot more people. Uh, okay. Your preference, Brave New World or 1984? And yes, I'm going to make you choose. You know, I can't say that I've read either. Oh, well... I recommend Brave New World. There's a great analysis that says if 1984 is all about the, you know, uh, a a tyrant uh, taking over through uh, force, uh, Brave New World is all about uh, us sort of pleasuring ourselves into submission uh, by just not having to do anything and and drugging ourselves up all the time. Uh, I I recommend Brave New World. It's it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard sci-fi, but it's one of my favorite books. Okay, well, I will put that on my list. There you go. There you, you have to tweet at us if you get it done. Okay. Um, all right, so last stuff here. I think some people struggle with, uh, you know, hey, sci-fi just feels like it's not something that's easy to get into. So where would you say are some accessible titles that you would recommend, especially your young younger fans? Um, where would you tell them to, to kind of dip a toe in to get a feel for, uh, for these genres? Well, I think I think Star Wars would actually be a pretty good introduction just because they're obviously heavily sci-fi, but they're also like heartwarming. You know, you get really attached to the characters and you kind of forget about some of the space stuff sometimes. So have you um, finally watched these movies, by the way? Because you said, I've seen other interviews with you where you're like, you're not really a Star Wars person. Yeah, I think I shouldn't have said I'm not a Star Wars person. I should have said I'd never seen Star Wars. And then I was sat down and I literally watched every single one. And so. 
What's that even like? Like how long? First of all, how long ago was that? And second, like what's that even like watching them now? Oh man, I mean, I thought originally, okay, these are kind of older. It's not going to look very good. It's not going to look very realistic. And you just don't even. That doesn't even. You don't see that. You know, you just get so into the story and so into the characters. Um, And it took like twelve hours one day and twelve hours the next day. And then you better bet, like, <laughs> right when, when Rogue One came out and, you know, uh, Hope Awakens, that one, that I was there opening night, like, popcorn, soda, I'm all in. Did you dress up as, like, Ray or Darth Vader or something? No, I didn't, but I'm tempted to. Um, I think Ray, baller, complete baller. I love that character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, you watched the prequels then. What, did, what were your thoughts? On, and first of all, did you start with the prequels or did you start with, the, like, the original trilogy? I started with the original trilogy, okay, which yeah. I think, yeah, which I think maybe was unfair to myself because then you try to watch the the more recent, you know, episodes, and you're kind of like that's the more recently made episodes, I should say, and you're just kind of like, ooh, I don't, I don't know if uh, Hayden Christensen is, you know, my Darth Vader. I just don't. Oh, see he's it. terrible. He's yeah, terrible. Yeah, and I hate to criticize, you know, because obviously I couldn't do me any better, but woof. <laughs> oh man! Well, I'm glad. For, by, by the way, how does a kid growing up playing Legend of Zelda and reading Ender's Game never watch Star Wars in like the '90s or 2000s? Like, what were you doing? I don't know. I'm gonna say that's like my dad failed me in that respect. <laughs> I love that. I love. Well, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad you got it back. Well, look, I, you've given us a ton of time. It's been great talking to you. Your passion is, is clearly deep. Your knowledge is uh, un- unquestioned. What, I guess what, what's, ne- what's next? What, what's like one thing that's coming out in the next year or two that you just can't wait for? Oh, wow. Um, I would say the movie for Ready Player One. I would yep. say the next season of Game of Thrones. Um, I'm still, I'm still going to hold out hope that the Game of Thrones novel comes out as well. <laughs> um, but there's actually like there's stirrings that his dark materials, the author Philip Pullman is going to be publishing um, other volumes. And if that is true and if that's to happen, um, that would literally probably make my lifetime. Uh, well, you, you might have saw I might have to go read his dark materials uh, because you're giving it a pretty ringing endorsement here. And I could use I could use another good read. I, I would highly recommend it. Well, thank you again. Uh, I know you guys, uh, your season's off, up and running. Best of luck this year, and uh, and we will be sure to uh, look for more. Hey, you got to give us some recommendations on Twitter, you know? Like, when you, okay. when you finish yeah. a book, like, throw them out there. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs>